In this episode, Ryan and I discuss the payroll protection program, pandemics, fake plagues, bailouts, bank loans, and the infinite banking concept, and capital formation. Thank you for listening. We enjoyed it. We hope you do too. All right, welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery. And I'm your co-host, Ryan Griggs. And here it is on Good Friday. Um, April the 10th. April 10th. 2020. Yeah. 2020. Working from an undisclosed location deep underground where we're practicing social distancing except for this episode. <laughs> I refuse to even use that term, right? It's not social if it's distant. Right, it's just like most government terms are totally oxymoronic. So, in fact, on the or, I was, while I was driving here, state of <laughs> Texas, right? So, in the, if you're not in the state of Texas, the Department of Transportation or TxDOT, as it's Texas called Department here, of Transportation, right? Yeah. They uh, have these billboard-like signs along the highways, right, where some bureaucrat gets to berate you with what they think you need to know for the day, <laughs> right? And I like my favorite. My, <laughs> my favorite ones are the ones that say, "Don't text and drive," you know, because you're not supposed to be distracted right. by text on the road. Right. And then here's this giant sign with text that changes daily for you to read. Right? And so the one today said, uh, you know. Because of the COVID nineteen, I don't even like using that sanitary coronavirus, right? Corona? Yeah. There, so it said avoid all close encounters. So I say, in the spirit of good old American civil disobedience, close encounters are not being avoided. Um, it's just so obnoxious. The whole spirit, and then the idea that you know you can't express a marginally dissenting opinion because if you do you must want all elderly people to die right <laughs> it's just so preposterous uh, it sounds like you're geared up the, this morning young man. the spirit we're in today that's oh my gosh yeah. anti-capitalist spirit anti-capitalist anti-social uh anti-prosperity and then the the legion of people who have just been gleeful about shutting down all economic activity uh we're all is, gonna die uh, it's astonishing to me you know it's it's, it's just reminded it's, i've taken this opportunity to remind, remind myself that uh fortunately i'm dependent upon god and he can he provides all that is necessary because yep. uh in this very unusual unprecedented time you see how unreliable and non-dependable so many of the human worldly institutions are, um, except for mutual life insurance companies. Imagine <laughs> that. Oh my goodness. But that's, that's how I'm feeling this morning. Well, keep going, man. Don't, so. <laughs> well, we, the kind of leads nicely into our topic, right? So the, you know, the government comes in forcibly shuts down businesses. And I, I have friends who talk about whether or not these, uh, orders to disassociate yourself or to close down businesses are actually going to be enforceable, and I'm eagerly awaiting the legal challenges. Uh, but in the meantime, a lot of businesses have shut down, and so there's all sorts of economic, all sorts of slowdown and economic activity. Well, look, are courts even open? You know, you can't evict <laughs> people if you're in the real estate business because the courts aren't open. You know, they're not going to hear any eviction notices. And I'm just saying, are the, are the, are the court, are, is that an essential business? Is, is 
it's how convenient that the <laughs> state has made it an essential business, right? They've monopolized the service of conflict arbitration mm-hmm. and then foisted upon you the, uh, the this essential, non-essential dichotomy and said, well, you know, we got to protect, heaven forfend, we have to protect the government workers mm-hmm. who normally populate those. And not listen, I'm, you know, everybody should be safe and everything, but um, sure. I don't even like making those little caveats, right? Even on social media, the people who are somewhat skeptical of Anthony Fauci and the CDC and you know the quote-unquote government scientists uh, feel compelled to uh, make this little caveat, right, on all their little social media posts, you know, like, well, I, I, I'm making sure to social distance myself, and, you know, I, I, I want everybody to be healthy and safe. It's like, you know, I, I don't feel compelled to make that same proclamation of my support for human health. You know, it's like, okay, we, I get it. You know, we, nobody wants anybody to die, but it, it is possible to have an independent opinion uh, that differs from the powers that be in the United States federal government and these public health, quote unquote, public health agencies, which happen to have some uh, interesting financial relationships with certain private individuals like Mr. Bill Gates and others. But um, <laughs> getting into that, listen, I'm just a financial person, right? I don't to talk about you get into any of that too much, but um, I, going back to the point, I, it, the, the, <laughs> those I, the, the little caveats that have to, that everybody feels that they've got to put out there. It's like, and the reason is, is we're afraid of you know provoking public ire, right? Oh, the people might get mad. They might think that you know I a disease denier or whatever it is, and it's like, oh, it's just so so uninteresting. Such an uninteresting. Uh, well, look, Mr. Griggs, people are dying. <clears throat> you know, and they do. As it turns out, people <laughs> do die uh, every year, all the time, uh, and some. And it, in fact, more people die in hospitals due to medical error than do than do they for most diseases, mm-hmm. right? But um, no one's shutting down hospitals, right? Well, I don't know. You know, the if the non-essential, you know, medical treatment is not happening, the mortality rate is like going to plummet. Right, but now everybody dying is dying from COVID, whether, <laughs> whether they are actually or not. I'll tell you what, the, the, uh, I seen a meme today on Facebook, or last night, and, and I mean, the meme game is like going yeah, up, is improving, memes. right? At least everybody has all this time to stay at home and create memes. Good job. I mean, people are creative <laughs> and very funny. So this meme, the guy's jumping out of an airplane, he didn't have a parachute, so the meme the the verbiage was yeah he uh forgot his parachute when he jumped out so he's obviously going to die of covid <laughs> <laughs> you know people really are dying and, and i don't want to make a lot of that um but like you said nobody wants to kill anybody no one wants to make anyone sick but when you're walking around with masks and gloves you're cross-contaminating you're not are you really helping and then um you, you're looking at all the numbers flatten the you know, the peak or whatever they call flatten, that. The flatten the curve. Flatten the curve. You know, uh, when I went to school, we didn't have these uh, graphing calculators, mm. you know, back in the day. <laughs> and But my, my, my boys, you know, when they went to school, they had graphing calculators. And, and I'm, a, I'm a numbers guy. I like math. I don't like all the equations necessarily. I love numbers and the relationship that exist within numbers by creation. Mm-hmm. But I just, as a, someone observing, can look at the graphs that are created and it's like, 
uh, they're not legitimate, no. right? So you can make, you can jick the numbers to support your pre well, that's, and that, that's position. What's, that's what's being done, right? So there was all sorts of uh, th- these same government, quote unquote, scientists who had all these predictions about the mortality due to coronavirus. Uh, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of people are going to die. And then as the days go by, literally day to day, those same predictions are recalculated. And, of oh, course, yeah. and, then, the, and then, of course, the powers that sure. be uh, take credit. For that, they said, "Well, if we hadn't have done anything, then things right. would be no." Worse. Of course, because yeah. of the social distancing, the curve is being flattened. See how yeah. good it's all working. Right. See how well it's working. How convenient! Yeah, you can't that, prove I, a negative, right? Exactly. You can't prove the other side either. Exactly. Right? So it's like, but what, what are we doing though? Well, here's what we're really doing: we're destroying the small business. Yes, that's what is going on. Right. It's as if you could, if you thought about how to design a way to crush the middle class, this to crush it. the people who are day to day serving, providing value to their fellow man. How can we best destroy them? It's like, gosh, could you come up with a better way? Not saying that it's all organized. I don't think they're intelligent enough to organize it that way. But you know, it, it just so happens that. to be that <laughs> that's the way. And okay, so that really t- does take us to our topic. This isn't off topic. I mean, we're getting to a point here. Um, I mean, you haven't haven't we all been discussing this over the last week or two? Oh yeah, or three. Yeah, uh, like listen, I can't I can't wait. Catch the sarcasm in the tone. I can't wait for all the comments of you know. Oh my gosh, these people are you know. How dare you disagree with the government bureaucrat? It's like, oh, anyway. Oh, well, you know, all, all, the, all of these uh, now local authoritarian tin horn dictators, mm. I mean, at the county level and at the city level and at the state level, yeah. which I'm a, I'm a state's rights advocate. You know, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, a firm believer in the 10th Amendment. And uh, every now and then you hear a sheriff or a local, you know, mayor come out and say, yeah, we're not doing that. We're not, we're not, sh- all of our businesses are essential. And you know what? God bless you. God bless you. Seriously? But these other guys, these other people that are like, oh my gosh, we got to shut everything down, shut everything down. It's, it, I, I believe it's, there's a, a tremendous, a, an appalling lack of fundamental basic fundamental understanding of economics and oh 100 and why why wouldn't there be if they're if they have a government job they couldn't make it out in the real world they don't know anything about capitalism um other than how to tax it Mm. right and oh who's going to build the roads and who's going to take care of the children the same dang people that build the roads right now (laughs) the same dang people that take care of the children right now and i'm just saying that without your guaranteed government income what would you do you wouldn't say, oh, I'm a non-essential business. Let me close my doors quickly. Two weeks ago, I'm thinking, I'm just talking to my beautiful wife, Jen. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I mean, I'm living in the twilight zone. Oh, yeah. Right? There's going to be, if this happens, uh, if this shutdown continues legitimately, and they were only talking for like two or three weeks originally, right? 15 to 20% of the small businesses are going to go out of business. Right, and then as it goes on, I'm like, oh my gosh, my numbers are low. It's going to be 25 that, to 40 yeah. percent. Yeah, All right, going. and then um, I'm a board member in our local chamber of commerce. Right, several weeks ago, and I probably shouldn't say, <laughs> but there, there's they're not a, watching. There, <laughs> <laughs> right, there's a discussion whether they we should continue meetings, and I'm like, yes, absolutely, continue the meetings. You know, wash your hands. 
self-quarantine if you're exposed. But yes, and and it's like the next day or two, the everybody, the, the governors are like shutting the schools down and shutting everything down. And I'm just like, okay, all right, we'll see how many of these businesses survive. And then over the last three weeks, I mean, because the financial services industry has been deemed essential, thank gosh, thank God, Right, and so we've been working. You know, mm-hmm. we um, always have, always, and will continue to be clean and practice cleanliness. Right, and it's just common sense. Okay, um, we've been bringing in lunch from every local restaurant in town, some more than once. Mm-hmm. You know, because we like to eat. But my concern is for the local business, and then okay, and we're going to get to the bailouts, right, or the oh, loans, yeah. or whatever. A small business does not need a loan. They need profits. They need revenue, right? They need production and exchange. And it's, in in my opinion, and I'm not the PhD economist, okay? (laughs) But what little bit of freedom we have left, you can, it's my opinion, you can't have a free market without freedom. And I'm not saying that we have a free market, but we have the closest thing to a free market um, other than black markets around the world, that's really kind of a free market, but it's black market. So um, my point being is that when you shut down commerce among men, you have shut down freedom. Oh, yes. Yeah. To just crush it. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, and how about that principle? You know, the, Which the government's going <laughs> to shut you down Okay. and put you into financial hardship ruin and then the institution to which you're supposed to go for relief in that time that was caused by the government is the government the government yeah Yeah. and then they're gonna (laughs) then they're gonna dictate listen to i mean okay you can call it what you will but let's just be straightforward and let me be frank how about you just refund 50 percent See how generous I am? How about you refund 50% of the taxes everyone paid last year? Oh. What? (laughs) And you know what? Direct deposit, just send that right back. Okay, no, no. Just reverse the transaction? No, let's go create a program and let the Wall Street uh, administer it and the SBA administer it and then create all these hoops to jump through and, and... and I don't know all the details. Well, wait a minute. The details have been changing for the last two weeks. I've talked to local bankers. Every where, day. Where I live. And they're like, James, we don't even know. It's changed every day. These guys are making PowerPoints to train their employees. And it's like, we have to change a PowerPoint every day. <laughs> <All right>, so <laughs> I'm just saying that. And, and I think we called it a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if it was recorded anywhere or written down. But it's like, you watch and see how easy it is for the small business to have access to capital. That didn't exist right, until they printed it or created it out of thin yep. air. And then you look how easy it is for large businesses to have access to capital, right? I mean, there's a local, the big, one of the big five banks, and I've seen all kinds of numbers like everybody else, but Bank of America, on Friday, when they opened the loan process, they shut it down. They wouldn't even let businesses or people go through their process without being an active business prior account customer, holder. Yeah. There's some prior customers that had lines of credit fulfilled and they wouldn't. So there's lots mm. of, no, they had to be active. <clears throat> um, are you saying that banks are imposing their own discretionary? What? <laughs> what? Are you shocked? Right? <clears throat> okay. And so I seen a number that Bank of America um, 
processed $2.2 uh, billion in loans in that one day, and the average loan was $250,000. Now think about that. That's roughly $75,000 or $80,000 a month in payroll, because in this particular program that we're talking about, I don't even know what it's called, the Paycheck Payroll Protection, protection program, program, I think, okay. Triple P. So the, the business entity or sole proprietor and whomever, and I'm, uh, the details could have changed, is all I'm saying. That's two and a half times the payroll, average payroll. Well, if $250,000 was their average loan size, I mean, how, and I, granted, most of America is built on small businesses. 90% of the businesses in America are small businesses. Um, $75,000 a month in payroll? That's not Main Street, USA, small town America. Mm. Uh, those are. Saying that even the companies that are attempting to apply in this particular instance with Bank of America, where you're larger than normal biz- businesses. Yeah, and you know? they processed uh, $2.2 billion in loans in one day. The average size being 250 That's mm-hmm. average. So, And then uh, BBVA, right? Another, I think they're a big five bank. Banco Santerra, South America, Central America, whatever. Um, they processed 8,000 loans and then shut it down. Hmm. They, they, they don't even have the manpower to process all, the, all of the loans. Yeah, the of course they banks. don't. Of course the financial industry doesn't have enough manpower to service the entire economy that's been shut down. The I mean, government can't even subsidize the entire economy. Are you kidding? The greatest right. economy that has ever been put together by man on the face of this earth in yeah. history. And the government, the audacity, the, mm. the ignorance, the, the uh, arrogance, the arrogance yeah. of Congress and to, to think that they can save... Middle America, yeah. Middle America business. It's yeah. Middle America doesn't need saving. They just need to be unburdened. How about leave me alone? To, yeah, to serve other people, uh, as it's always been. You know, all of this that we're talking about in general, and the, the you know we, even what we're doing here today, I believe is. Well, let me venting. Uh, we're yeah, venting, <laughs> and much needed. There's a, a journalist. His name's Peter Hitchens in uh, yeah. in England who I don't agree with on everything. He's a pro-drug warrior type person, but on this he's been great, especially in England. Uh, he, he says that he feels like a, a, a man in a foreign country where, or, or a man in a country in which the, the religion is not the one that he agrees with, right? He, a new religion has come about and it's not his. Uh, and I, I feel the same way and I think that religion is, I, I, I've posted on social media about it and I'll say it for the first time here, but I think it's the new American secular faith in safety, stability, and security. And that is the new secular religion in America. Uh, uh, and then, then that, I think that accounts for why if you defy it, uh, if you sh- demonstrate that you don't go to that church, uh, you're treated as a heretic, right? It, yeah. It's where the uh, hysterical, uh, radical, extreme reactions come. You know, how dare you not uh, bend your knee to the to the new secular faith. I think <clears throat> I, I understand that, but I think it's it's a uh, symptom of the secular faith that has existed, mm. and the symptom is dependency. Mm-hmm. You know, this is we're dependent. We've got a dependent mindset in America, and and we've talked about that many times too. It's like we're 
we I refuse to allow people to be dependent upon me, you know, as far as clients go, right? I want them to be free and independent. And everybody wants to be free and independent. Right. As soon as I abdicate my responsibility in any area, in every area of life, and specifically in money and finances, then I become dependent on something else or someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, and then if we if we extrapolate that out and I have a universal income, universal health care, I'm going to let the, the government, the state take care of me. Oh, I don't have to work. I get an income. <clears throat> I've immediately embraced the dependency, right? And I've immediately set a cap on my income and my wealth, right? And then I, worse than that, what I see and what I believe is you have limited yourself or when you, when someone does that, they have limited their self and they will never experience the freedom, the reward of being free and independent. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily always easy. Right, it's not always going to turn out the way you want. There's going to be challenges, and those challenges make you better, my opinion. Right, and so when we become dependent, we forfeit mm. that um, the result of being free and independent. You know, going through the trials. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And it's it, to me, it's it's. I get it. It's scary to be independent. I, I get that. It's um, worth it, though, right? So I think that this is breeding dependence. Oh, yeah. And it's just solidifying that we're dependent upon the state. Oh, my gosh. No, the state is the parasite. You're the host, the individual. Don't misunderstand me. I love our country. I love America. It's the greatest country that man has ever put together, in my opinion. Greatest economy ever. And they won't be able to crush the economy as much as they're trying to. They will not. Mm -hmm. We will overcome. The individual will overcome. Think of how many people are going to retire. Who's who's talked about that? You know, the the experience in the the business world. I mean, how maybe somebody's been in business 30, 20, 20, 25, 30, 40 years. What an incentive. You know, it's like, yeah, it's not worth it. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of struggling. Right. Um, and, and I know it's been mentioned suicides, abuse, Alcohol alcoholism. through the roof, yeah. Yeah. 200, and I think the statistic I heard, this was April 10th, I think the statistic I heard three days ago on the 7th was alcohol sales up 260% from where they were the prior year. It, you know, the-, the Domestic the, abuse. Yeah. The bureaucrat, it's very hard to foresee the unintended consequences. Right. But this is nothing new. This is just a new version, right? Whether it's 9-11 and they're killing us or they're trying to attack us um, or the mortgage meltdown. There's always a crisis. Always. We can go back. I mean, we can go back. Every every historical event in history, you know, and that's one thing I learned from Nelson Nash. You cannot separate economics from history. Cannot be done. Somebody's going to make a lot of money right here. There's going to be a tremendous wealth transfer, and it's going to be from the middle class to the ruling elite, whatever you want to call them, banking, the Wall Street, the cabal, whatever you want to call them. For, for my few uh, economics listeners, we won't get into the argument that you can distinguish theory and history, but that's okay. <laughs> I understand what Nelson meant by that. Uh, 
Oh well, no hell. Let's, let's, we want to talk about. And you can, it. And you, and you can certainly <laughs> illustrate economic principles with history, and I think we agree on the fundamental idea that there's a pattern of crisis and an exposed, underestimated, unaccounted for demand for capital, a need for capital, a need for uh, cash flow, financial resources, right? There's a different name for it in every generation. And so it might be called a liquidity trap or whatever it might be. Uh, the, the fundamental nature of the problem is that every so often there's some uh, crisis that might appear exogenous, right? It's outside of our control, something that happens to us that quote unquote, no one saw coming, regardless of whether that's actually true. Uh, something that's outside of our sphere of influence that exposes the need for capital. And this, what's happening, just to speak in categorical terms, at, in this moment in time, is that uh, that need for capital is, is so dramatic because of the extent and the intensity and the severity and the all-encompassing nature of the shutdown. Uh, it, it's driving this unusual, this incredible demand for, in this case, government loans, right? Or loans from, as you point out, banks that are politically connected, you know, to service and then receive the interest from all these loans. And, um, but all, all of this falls under the category of the need for capital and what, and I don't want to go too long in this show without pointing to solutions because so many in, well, we're only 21 into it. You gotta, you gotta started the time related. (laughs) We acknowledge the, uh, the, uh, crisis or the, Right, and, and that's legitimate because I don't think anybody else really is. I, I watch these; it's becoming unbearable. The podcaster type people, you know, these new career podcast people who uh, maybe they're comedians or whatever they are. They now, you know, their podcast is their main thing, and uh, they, they tiptoe around it and they don't want to just call things like they see it, or they frequently resort to these, you know, egalitarian, blank out, as like Ayn Rand would say, black box sort of emotional responses of, oh, we're all in this together, and it's all going to be, we're all in this together. (laughs) We're not all in this together. Come on. I mean, that's just not true, right? There's some people who are still working, who are fortunate to still be working, and others who are, you know, who's method of generating value and providing for their families has been outlawed by the government. So no, we're not in this together. I think it's demeaning to the people who are, uh, who have been forced out of work to say, Oh, we're in this together. No, those people are suffering in ways that other people who are fortunate to continue to be working are not. So I think it's, that we should set that aside, right? The, The whole, and then this, every podcaster is overnight, medical expert, this overnight public health official, <laughs> right, whose credentials are unknown, uh, telling people, oh, you should stay home, stay home, just make sure to stay home, right, uh, because they heard it from someone else, right? they saw it on the news, or they saw the government bureaucrats say it. I mean, the audacity to think that you're going to tell me what I should be doing, right, because you tell jokes at night, like, stop it, you know, <laughs> stop it, uh, I'm going to do what I want, so I've, I, I can't even listen to many of them anymore. The, right? Are their jokes any good? Uh, I, I, you can't go to their show, so I don't know, there's no way to even <laughs> listen to them well everybody uh, and their brothers now doing zoom i mean i've been working out on zoom for the last week yeah and it's like thank you for the people that show up and work out on zoom i appreciate you i would be the well, point being larger. i think it is legitimate that we spend time acknowledging and i think putting form to putting words on putting structure to what it is we see out there and i just want to say very very straightforwardly that uh 
I, I do dissent from the conventional opinion. I don't have any uh, hardship about that. There's, there, there's an economics professor, I won't say her name, but we're friends on Facebook, and you know, she had posted a mildly dissenting comment about the current hysteria and was just shouted down by all of these uh, self-identified do-gooders and people. And I feel so bad. It's like she are was- Are they other libertarians? I don't know. I don't know who they are. I don't care, but- uh, Wow. I, I just feel <laughs> so- I feel bad for those people who are just- in, speaking their mind honestly and, and, and don't mean any harm by it but right. are just calling it like they see it and so I think it's a legitimate point being I think it's legitimate that we uh, identify things as we see them and call things for what they are spade a spade as far as we can tell but they're so often in the Austrian the liberty oriented the, the <coughs> dissenting world it's all problem 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 and it's all everything is bad doomsdayer right the, the Austrians have the uh the stereotypical view of that we're perma bears, right? We're, oh, con yeah. we're constantly saying that it's a doom and gloom all the time. And, buy gold, buy yeah. gold, buy and, gold, and that's buy really Bitcoin. Not, and, and there's no, you know, the <laughs> solutions are always so grand, and as Nelson would say, top down. They're they're so you got to end the Fed, or you know, got to change policy. You got to call the, you know, I've heard, uh, you know, podcasters. One of them, which that I really like, is like, you know, flood the local uh, bureaucrat or the local politician's office with phone calls, or call into a radio station or news program and it's like my gosh you know if that's your game have as much fun as you like but i, I think people want and i don't know if they know that they want but i think what the, a, a true solution to the problem here is to provide uh an entity uh, a private asset in which people can accumulate capital so that they can solve their need they can solve for their own need for capital in times like this right if, if this coronavirus a moment in time illustrates anything. It's that there is throughout history a repeated pattern where the need for capital is revealed and it's always underestimated. It's always underestimated. Well, even in times there is no apparent crisis, the right. need for capital is always underestimated. Yeah. It's just. And um, no one in the financial advisory community is talking about this. And it, it blows me away. And I have, I'm so. I love my clients so much. Like we have the greatest conversations, right? Who go about the process to become sure. their own banker in the appropriate way. And we get into, I had a call with a client earlier this week. He's just got his new policy and he just wanted to talk about what's going on in the economy, right? So absolutely, we can do that. That's part of the continuing service, right? You want to get an Austrian economist style view of what's going on? Happy to do it. Um, for clients, and, and so we, <laughs> the others there's a paid prescription, <laughs> subscription, Maybe. sorry, yeah, and a prescription. So we get on the phone, we're talking, <clears throat> and it, just going through the safety and security of the, the life and the mutual, in particular, the mutual life insurance industry, and and this how this is this particular crisis moment where everyone's discovering, rediscovering as they do every five to ten years, their need for capital, and and how it's dependable and reliable to acquire it from the mutual life insurance industry. Uh, and just reviewing that, reviewing the dividend payment history, consecutive, regular, annual, positive dividend payments, right? Regular positive financial performance through world wars and all the various moments in history that you've so eloquently gone through in the past. Um, you know, and just re providing that reassurance, you know, that those conversations are just so great. And then they see it and uh, they, then people say, well, what, how, how do I, this individual in particular is having a conversation with his boss and realize that you could only push it so far, you know, that you can only get 
in so much to what IBC is before you encounter pushback. And, oh yeah. Um, and I tell them, I'm like, yeah, I mean, there's, it's a, it's a fundamentally different paradigm. Uh, but once you see it, once you see that, and that's why I'm going through, that's why I'm going through this, that, that this is just a repeat pattern. This idea every five to 10 years that it's a new unprecedented crisis that no, no one's ever seen coming before. It's like, no, there is a regularity to the pattern of events over time. Sure. And in, the, in, the per, in this particular uh, context, in the personal, individual, financial context, the, the essence of the problem is the need for capital. Right? And solving for the need for capital, and so going back to that original point that the I was telling this particular client, the, the in fact this was a different client. He's a member of the financial services community, works for a, a regional bank uh, in one of the midwestern states, and and has, was considering uh, not only implementing infinite banking in his own life, but then wanting to help other others in his business. I, which you know, God bless him. I'm going to struggle at a regional bank, but you know that's okay. <laughs> uh, he'll come around, and we've had this conversation. I'm not telling, I'm not saying anything. he listens to the podcast. I'm not telling, not saying anything now that I haven't told him already. But um, you know, I, I'm telling him as a member of the financial services world. It's like the financial services community is, you know, a lot of people, for instance, in the Nelson Nash Institute, right? Members of the uh, the NNI authorized practitioner program, right? Uh, eyes glaze over. You start talking about Austrian economics. Oh, right? it's like, oh my I, gosh. don't even, don't, yeah. you know, I just sell life insurance, uh, right? Uh, listen, a couple of years ago, don't lose your train of thought though. A couple of years ago, <laughs> like, and, and I think it was like 2013, 2014, I just released a Banking with Life DVD, right? I got so much pushback from people, quote unquote, that, you know, practice the infinite bank concept. Mm -hmm. What does this have to do with banking? Oh gosh. Why do why do I care about fractional reserve banking? Why I, my clients don't need to know anything about fractional reserve banking. And I'm just like, "Oh my gosh. Did you read Nelson's book? Is this Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so the point being is that and the reason maybe that you had that same kind of reaction, if I can speak for you, is that uh, hello, this is like a, a tremendous opportunity <laughs> to distinguish ourselves from the conventional industry. You know, go talk to a, approach the, please, I mean, don't actually do this. This is just facetious, but imagine in your mind, <laughs> hypothetically, going to a conventional planner and asking, hey, how for your clients do you help them solve their need for the capital accumulation and deployment function over their lifetime? Oh, we put it in the market <laughs> with a qualified plan. <laughs> and watch their eyes just glaze up. There, there's not going to be a response for that, you know? Yeah. And so point being, the Austrian economic paradigm and what Austrian economists and enthusiasts of the Austrian economics tradition have totally missed, in my view, is the opportunity to speak to the financial industry, right? And, and the financial industry in general has been poorly treated by the entire economics profession. Well, let's, let's talk about that. Listen, if you walk into a room full of financial uh, professionals, the arrogance is so thick you can barely walk through the room. <laughs> and there's no different. Walk through an Austrian economics conference. Ooh. I've been to them. It's like, and I love some of you, okay, on both sides. It's like, not much. It's like, let's, let's go to a mutual fund company, investment company above the door. All the gophers inside do the same damn thing that yeah. the bankers do. Here's the bank on the door, all the gophers. I mean, you're not really... There's nothing new. There's right? not a lot of distinguished. Like some have PhDs, and the others have you know some kind of string of designations. You know, I love working I'm with people saying. one on one. Mm -hmm. You know, individuals one on one mm -hmm. are great. 
And as soon as you put them into groups, it's like, oh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so this is, I mean, the Austrian economists, financial people, it's all the same. Right? It's just get groups of people, and here come the, you know, the same. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's like going into church. You know, it's it's flawed as soon oh, as I walk through the door. Absolutely, you know I mean? and it was flawed before. <laughs> it's flawed. <after. laughs> uh, so there's nothing. I'm not picking on. We're not picking on anybody in particular. Just this is a financial show. So sorry, not really. But um, <laughs> sorry, no, sorry. Yeah. So. So the, but the, the economic profession has neglected that there's only a few journals, for instance, academic journals that refer to financial strategy or personal finance. And they're all fairly new. Right, oh. um, and uh, Stern Stewart and Company, Joel Stern, founder, oh, uh, yeah. talked about EVA, right? Which Nelson mentions in the book. They founded, he founded a journal of corporate finance, I believe it was called, or journal of corporate accounting and finance, something along those lines. Uh, Fairly new, right? Within the last thirty years, yep. it's not not that old compared to the other journals, right? Uh, so the the economics profession in general has neglected the financial industry, and so the Austrian world, a smaller, very small, maybe the smallest of the various schools of economic thought, has done it too. So I'm not saying it's necessarily their fault, but uh, in fact, Bob Murphy, co-founder of the Nelson Nash Institute, my dissertation advisor, he tells people on podcasts. I've heard him say that for young Austrian oriented thinkers, people who want to study the topic, maybe get their PhD or whatever it might be. The world of finance is wide open. Yeah, it's wide open. Uh, now he will, has said in the past that, especially for those who are mathematically minded, um, and God bless you if you are. Uh, mm, I, my eyes are starting to roll back and thinking, yeah. of, and the, my eyes are rolling back to the back of my head thinking about formulas. Please, let's put a formula let's, on yeah. it. <laughs> and wait, maybe a corporation will pay me for my white paper. Uh, yeah. See, I think there's so much work to be done in just the theory. I mean, we talk about capital theory. Yeah, like get to it. All of the time. But, um, Hear that? That's a clock ticking. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think there's so much opportunity there. And, and this is what we're trying to do. It's what I'm trying to do on this show is, is show that there's a there's a pattern that if you understand something about Austrian economics, going back to fractional reserve banking in particular, why I understand fractional reserve banking? Here's the one sentence reason: fractional reserve banking it what is what causes the business cycle. Right? It, it is the source of this repeat pattern where people rediscover every five to ten or fifteen years as the cycles now start to elongate that we have underestimated our need for capital, and that's going to happen again. Right, yep. and oh, what what is the financial industry solution for that? Here, go lock up your money in this Uncle Sam generated monstrosity yep. of a plan. Bought the wrong stock. Buy this one. <laughs> right, so you, where you purposefully erect a, a a penalty phase and all sorts of income taxes and uncertainty and arbitrary numbers between you and that money. That's the solution. Yep. It's like what? How is that even? And so I tell financial people, it's like, you know, you want to get into the financial business. One, God bless you. It can be very difficult. Um, but two, I, I don't think there's any greater opportunity than in helping people identify, understand, and then solve their need for capital. Yep. <clears throat> I completely agree with that. I got to share. You have another point? No, good. Go for it. Okay. The uh, couple of conversations I've had this week. Mm -hmm. A couple of them have been inside the insurance world, right? And it's like, uh, you know, what are, have you? What are we going to do about the underwriting? Or have you heard what so and so is doing about underwriting in the COVID? And I'm, and I, I'm, I cut them off. I'm like, wait a minute. Mm. I don't even want to go down that. I don't even want to have the conversation. And if you're in the life insurance business in the home office or higher ups, 
they don't you shouldn't either. You should know. Huh? <laughs> they don't listen to this show. <laughs> they don't. You should know your history. Uh, I was talking to him directly. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not going to go down the road. I'm not going to entertain the conversation of how you have to change underwriting for this plague, uh, this pandemic, right? Fake. Corona hoax virus. Okay, I'm, and, and literally, people are dying. God bless you. I mean, we should all take care of ourselves. I don't want anyone to die at all. But they're, they're you know, I have a, a client in New York City. He's said, James, 150 people die every day in New York City. All right. Better shut down the city. No kidding. Okay, um, so the conversation with the life insurance peoples. I'm like, I'm not, I don't want to entertain the idea of how you have to change or how somebody is changing their underwriting for this COVID-19. I'm like, they don't even know their history. World War II. Did it affect all the, I don't know how many people died in where there's 70,000 people, 59,000 people died in Vietnam, right? I don't know how many people died in World War II, the U.S. It didn't affect them. It didn't affect them. As a matter of fact, um, they paid out benefits in spite of Right, uh, World War One didn't change. The real Spanish influenza of nineteen nineteen and it's nineteen eighteen. And now I've heard more about the Spanish influenza over the last three weeks than I've heard in, almost in my whole career. All right, so uh, ninety million people worldwide, and there's all kinds of numbers being thrown about: fifty million, forty million, a hundred million. What I'd always read was ninety million. All right. Um, did, did any life insurance businesses or companies go out of business in any one of those events? No, not 1929. I've been told, and I can't prove it, and I'd love to be able to prove it, that life in, there were some life insurance companies that paid their dividends in gold in 1932 and 1933 before gold was confiscated. And yes, that is a correct use of that word, confiscation. It was by brute force. You come turn in your gold and we'll give you some Federal Reserve notes. Oh, and then not uh, six months later, they changed the value of gold. What a coinky dink. Okay, I digress. Um, however, there are life insurance companies like across the board that are coming out right now with guidelines on COVID-19. Right, if you're a certain age and there's a certain face amount, you're postponed automatically. And I'm not speaking for the life insurance companies. I'm having a conversation with my friend Ryan and you that have chosen to listen in. You know, I'm having a conversation. I'm not saying anything about what life insurance companies should do or shouldn't do, although I'm saying they shouldn't change your underwriting, but I understand that they are. And it's like, it's because you don't know your history. Mm-hmm. Right, you don't know your history, so I think so many of these corporations are so um, intimidated and afraid of the public backlash that if oh, they don't, and the governmental they backlash, they don't toe the line. And oh, I, I can't believe it's taken me this long to mention it. But my favorite <laughs> sport nowadays, the UFC, the mixed martial arts, oh, the yeah. UFC, uh, oh, Ultimate yeah. Fighting, Dana White. Pre- Go Dana. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, All there's excited. A, there's, a, there's an update. On I that. know. Okay. So if, for those who don't know, and I can't believe it if you don't know, but uh, well, by the time president of the UFC, Dana White, was going to hold UFC 249, a fighting event on April the 18th, which is eight days from the uh, recording of this uh, show, and had because he couldn't find anywhere to do it on U.S. mainland, <laughs> had secured a private island 
to host the international events and then was going to outside of the box individual thinker god love you yeah despite all the backlash he told he he did a instagram i i just love this it just i blushed at it the he did the (laughs) he did an instagram live or a youtube live facebook something some live thing where he i won't use the word but told the various media personnel who were giving him a hard time for pushing forward with holding events in the midst of a quote unquote pandemic. And by the way, uh, every flu every year is technically a pandemic, but that's beside the point. Uh, well, wait, he literally it, told them- Don't cloud anything he, with facts. He literally told them all to F off, like on live media. I'm <laughs> like, oh my gosh, man. You know, And so I was going to hold this event anyway, international on a private islands and then use a uh, an Indian sovereign Indian nation in California to host the what was going to be the domestic uh, yeah. fights gets shut down a week and a half prior to the event by the head not of ESPN the broadcast partner of UFC but by the parent company of ESPN which of course happens to be Disney right so calls from as he put it the top of the top at Disney saying shut it down I mean that yeah I I think what I the way I put it on social media it just epitomizes the uh, position of the ordinary American and the elite right the elite is shut everything down right mandatory suffering for all crush them Uh, and and no no hope no continued sporting event no uh, normal no, no normal life as it was prior to the officially declared uh, emergency. So, very unfortunate, very sad. But again, you know, all all goes back to what we're identifying here is this: he who has the gold Christ. makes the rules, right oh, there, brother. My goodness. All right. So, and then it's a need for capital. And let me say, with this COVID nineteen and these life insurance companies, whomever they are, coming out postponing certain ages and certain face amounts um suddenly suddenly they're uninsurable all right now we're talking about building capital right formation the formational capital formation solving your need for capital with dividend paying life insurance and suddenly suddenly there's a whole mass of people that are uninsurable all right, so and I know in the inside the infinite banking footprint, everybody discounts the death benefit. I am so over. I don't need the death benefit. I don't want the death benefit. I just want the cash. It's like, you know, um, keep reading, keep <laughs> learning, right? Because you you can't buy life insurance without the death benefit, and the death benefit, the cash value would not be what it is and what it can be without the death benefit. So. You need death benefit. We all need death benefit. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, there's a whole mass of people that are uninsurable. And might I say that um, that's how you become uninsurable is suddenly. Mm. You can be super preferred in your 20s and mm. your 30s and maybe even in your 40s. You go to the gym, you get dehydrated and whatever the case may be. Yep. Um, and then suddenly, you're not preferred or super preferred. You know, have a few more birthdays, some whatever, whatever it is, it is, and then suddenly you're uninsurable. Yeah, it's a very unique purchasing process. I mean, consider how many other assets out there where your ability to acquire it is determined by something other than your ability to pay. Right? If you go out to go to the store, you're gonna go buy any asset. Right? It's do you have the money? Okay. In life insurance, 
It's not just do you have the money. You got to have the money. Part of the financial underwriting, you got to be able to pay a premium. Right. But are you healthy? Yeah, no you question. Know? Or do you have, and beyond that, technically speaking, I know you don't have to have, you don't have to be insuring yourself in order to do infinite banking, right? But so beyond that is insurable interest. Well, and let's talk about that too, because all these suggested videos that come up to my left, to your right, the viewer. Um, and I'm sure m many of you have probably found this uh, podcast the same way, suggested videos. Um, we get calls quite often because of these videos just, uh, and I don't want to blame it on them, but it's just stuff that is out there in the big wide world. It's like, yeah, it's just buy policies on your children, your grandchildren, and you know, buy policies on somebody that's younger than you because it, isn't it cheaper? All of this uh, misunderstanding and and you know, my encouragement there would be to keep reading. And if you're promoting how easy it is to buy life insurance, you should stop um, and, and produce some real education of value. That would be my encouragement. <laughs> um, I mean, there's some tremendous uh, presentations out there. It's almost like, wow, man, I'm, 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 if I didn't know any better, I'd be mesmerized. But since I know better, it's like I can't swap left fast. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I do want to be positive. And positive is this, that you need to discover the infinite banking concept and you need to vet this idea for yourself thoroughly. Not just watching a couple of, not even listening to a couple of these podcast episodes. Not watching a couple of, you know, videos from all these different, you know, promoters and many hucksters out there. Um <laughs> And, 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 and two, let me say this. I've had this conversation quite a bit this week. Mm. We've talked about HELOCs in the past. We've talked about people taking their number one uh, most valuable asset, their primary residence, and then uh, falling off into this idea that you go leverage that with the HELOC. Then you take the HELOC and you go buy life insurance. And then you leverage the life insurance immediately and go buy, quote unquote, turnkey real estate. Mm -hmm. All right. And and I've talked to people. How is that the, not a plan for permanent indebtedness? Can <laughs> someone help me with that? Please. <laughs> Listen, I don't know how many conversations I'm talking, trying to talk people off the ledge. I'm going through that, right? Um, and now here we are in April and you, you look at all the real estate owners today. Right, multifamily units, single family units, and all of your renters, what are they doing if they're not essential employees out or a government employee, right, out earning a guaranteed paycheck mm. government? Right. How much, um, what does that do to you? I'm sure they'll be current on all of their rent payments. Oh my gosh. The it's like, um, and whoever's promoting those ideas, there's this life and one more. And we well, all like there's a government get what plan. We there's a government program that I can is there? take advantage of. Is there? Good question. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm sure there, that's in the minds of a lot of people, but it's like, really? But let's really okay. walk through it. I mean, I have. Okay. Uh, and I don't ask. People bring it up. Mm -hmm. You know, as well, it comes, up, comes out as we're reviewing financial circumstances for, you know, uh, new clients. Individuals, yeah. That, yeah. uh, you know, where's the premium coming from and you know what's the income like what are your expenses like assets liabilities you know do you own a rent all this kind of stuff and it comes up frequently that you know we got did the HELOC had a mortgage did a HELOC and 
and the, and the rationale is to reduce the absolute interest cost. And yes, that a mortgage is horrible, right? In terms of the volume of dollars paid out over the course of that amortized schedule. I, Tell me where zero percent interest exists. Yeah, but so my, my question is, where does that end? Like, how, for how long do you want to hand out and 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 keep? A collateral assignment to the asset, for, to ownership to the asset that you own and in which you live, to a third party. What age does that stop at? I mean, and when it just it doesn't seem scalable to me. You know, like the infinite banking, <laughs> infinite, right? Pay as much premium, build as much cash value, build as much death benefit. Right? It really is infinite. Right? Nelson used to say, as soon as you put a definition on it. You've violated the principle of it because it's 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 limitless. Uh, but where does the where does that strategy end? Because um, uh, and look, I mean, I do get it. I have, I'm thinking of two clients in particular um, that have successfully implemented the strategy. They've reduced their interest costs that they otherwise would have paid on the mortgage. But my genuine question is, for how long? Right, how long are we going to cycle that through? Where we flow the income into the balance and then use the credit card for the that the bank gives you for the HELOC to pay for things. How long do we want to maintain that? And I don't know the answer, right? Maybe some people want to maintain that relationship for their life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm just calling attention to the consideration. What's the end game? What's the way out there, mm-hmm. right? Um and in my mind, if at some point there is an end game, how long do we want that to wait? You know, how far well, out in the future yeah, are we going to put that? That's just a that's a genuine that's, question. I'm not yeah, it is a genuine question. And if you apply that to the uh, to the real estate investor world, you know, I mean, I've had these conversations for the last 15 years. This 1031 exchange, 1031 exchange, and you know, the whole idea that you don't want to pay taxes and that you'll want to avoid taxes and you know, I mean, I don't want to pay one red cent above my obligation. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I want to pay and I do pay my obligations. And, and so, you know, we all know there's a difference between tax avoidance and tax evasion. Okay. But when you get into the real estate world and this idea of 1031 exchange, 1031 exchange, or buy these god awful self directed IRAs and go buy real estate in there, that really looks good on the short term. It's no different than, oh, go buy a 90 10 policy where there's 10% to the base. You have 90% of the premium available in cash value in year one. Every bit of it is short term thinking, every bit of it is a continuation of flawed thinking. Yeah. Now, let's, let's, let's say you have a, whatever the situation may be, but pick a round number, a million dollars in your self-directed IRA, right? Or you piled it up in 1031 exchanges. Who are you piling that up on? It's your future prodigy, your future generations. Mm. It's like, oh my God, are you so self-centered and so short-sighted that you're going to put that on your future children's children? It's like, I, I, I just, that's flawed thinking in my opinion or short-sighted. Now, when you continue these out over 10 or 15 or 20 years, right? It's like, oh my gosh, how do I unwind this stuff? Mm. Right, yeah. Okay, so my point being that um, you have to think long-term, right? What is the end game of the HELOC? What is the exit strategy? 
man, it does, it's not really covered in 90% of those god-awful, mesmerizing I yeah. presentations. I never hear it. It's not sexy to talk about. What are you going to do in 30, 40, 50 years? No kidding. And and I get it. When, I, when you know, the average 25-year-old can't even see themselves at age 50 or 60. And the, the uh, I'm speaking for men, um, not all men, but some of the men I know, right, when they're... 50, 55, and 60, when they were 30, they, they thought there's no way. I'm, I'm The life I'm living, I'm not going to live that long. And here they are, and 60 is a new 40. And and they've got to think about the next 20 and 25 years. Yeah. You know, So don't be short-sighted. And, and my whole point is that, that um, there needs to be an exit strategy. Nelson had it exactly right. Not that uh, just because I say that. It, he had it right, thinking long-term. Right. And he who has the gold makes the rules. And if you look at what's going on today, I don't know how many clients I've had this week call and, and express in some way, email, Facebook, what have you, that we're going to be fine. Right? There, our business is shut down. We're losing hundreds or thousands of dollars every day. And we're doing everything that we can to take care of our employees, whomever they are and whatever their situation is across different um, businesses. And uh, to the person, it's like, we're concerned about the other people, you know, the people who don't have, people who haven't accumulated, you know, sufficient amounts of capital, who are now going to be dependent upon a government loan. And it's like, oh my gosh, wait a minute. Oh my gosh, you're, you're going to, you know, create $8 trillion of bailout and loan money, however you, and you want to provide 350 Million. Billion. 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 350 billion to the small business and then make them jump through hoops to get it and then make them jump through hoops with this carrot that it'll be forgiven in the future if you do exactly what we tell you. That is the epitome of a state that can't contain itself. That is the epitome of government. It reminds me of of uh, Israel. You know, it's like, oh, we want a king. We want a king. We want a king. God says, I am your king. No, we want to be like all the other nations. And God told them the first thing they're going to do is take your taxes and they're going to take your children for the military state. Here we are. <laughs> 2,500 years later, that's where we're at. Absolutely. So how in, in this, the meme game being up, you know, how's your free trial of uh, socialism going for you? I mean, legitimate socialism. Yeah. Like, no, I don't like it. Thank you. Bread lines outside of Costco, man. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And stay six feet away. And wear your mask, wear your gloves. I only okay. stand on the little taped areas on the floor. You know, I seen so, another uh, meme, like they were six feet apart, the person in front of you, but then the, the line was like two feet to your side either way. It's like somebody... It's like do the math. Do, do the math. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no surprise there. All right, so listen, positive. Yeah, well, it's a... Could close out I for mean, me. 55 I mean, minutes. Can the, we be positive, young man? The epitome. Man? Yeah, I think there is a positive. I mean, and that's, you know, Not maybe we're, we're harder than most. I know I am, but maybe we're tougher than most on current circumstances and the the attitude and the culture out in society. But we've also got an equally powerful, positive solution, right? And that's to uh, become your own banker. You know, solve for your need for capital. Take back control of the banking function as it pertains to your needs and for your family, right? Um, that, that's something that you can do. It doesn't take a call to your local government official. It doesn't mean it doesn't require that you apply for some. Unless new he's plan. a part-time IBC practitioner, right? it, do, it doesn't take any of, of that 
you know, no hoops to jump through other than the same ones that have been around for over a hundred years to acquire life insurance. That's underwriting, right? Do you have the money to pay the premium? Do you have an insurable interest in the proposed insured? You know, nothing's changed there. Uh, and that, that, that's an ancient business, ancient business practice, older than the Federal Reserve, older than the IRS, older than all these government programs, older than 90% or more of the United States federal government. I mean, there is a, that, there's a positive, actionable, practical step that everybody can take because ain't nothing happening to fractional reserve banking. All right, the, Ron Paul, the greatest uh, congressman of my and maybe more generations, who led the end the Fed charge was ultimately unsuccessful politically. Yeah, there, just there, like Lewis T. McFadden, well, just I mean, like Henry Ford. There's a great educational uh, benefit, and I'm I was part of it, uh, and that's that's wonderful. But as far as actionable steps, the political top down. Uh, proposed solution is hasn't worked yet, but yet there's thousands of people who have implemented the solution in their own life, who've chosen to take control of their cash flows and the capital accumulation and deployment function, uh, and they're prepared. You know, they've not seen their cash values diminish at all. In fact, it steadily increases as every day approaching mortality passes, uh, and more people are doing it all the time, even even during these times. Uh, and in fact, in greater numbers, you know, the people who are seeing for the first time, maybe if they're younger, they haven't lived through a particular crisis like this before. They don't have that direct experience, you know, especially if you have a, if you have a government education of history, odds are that, and, and the odds are diminishing that you even have an awareness of past financial crises. Uh, so many in the financial services world, I mean, myself included, we weren't around when the last crisis hit, but, you know, here we are. Here we are yet again, discovering that we've underestimated the need for capital. Uh, so there's a solution to it. You know, it's not the, it's not going to fix everything. It's not going to fix the fact that the government's forced the shutdown of several sectors of the economy, but it's going to help protect you and your family. It might not fix everything, but it sure won't hurt anything. Of course not. Nothing. And it'll solve a lot of problems, right? And falling over ourselves. Look, I get it. You know, people who uh, didn't know, you know, ha haven't read Nelson's book, aren't aware of what's possible with dividend paying whole life. You know, falling over. I feel for them, man. I feel these are my friends on Facebook. These are people I know, business sure. owners who sure. are, you know, need assistance because they've been either their customers or their uh, parts suppliers, right? Their business partners have been deemed non-essential and some are deemed essential. I, mean, I get it. There's cash flow problems. There's a need for capital. No question. That's in my entire point, right? Uh, what I'm saying is that there's a way to prepare for the next one, right? Fractional reserve banking <clears throat> isn't going anywhere. The business cycle is not going anywhere. The next crisis is going to happen, Right? We can play this again in 10 years, man. I'm going to wear it out, too. Be like, we called it way back when in 2020, okay? <laughs> it's, it's coming. And, you know, here we are this time. I was telling people last year, you know, because people ask, you know, should, should I use such and such asset? <laughs> try to communicate this delicately. <laughs> should oh, I use please. such and such market correlated asset to fund my premium, right? Mm -hmm. And I I'd said, you know, Listen, I'm not a securities licensed person. I don't give any investment advice, right? Uh, 
you know, but I, I would think that the consideration would be, okay, what's a, what's a potential, I don't know, 30, 40, 50% loss in that portfolio look That's like? That's a valid question. What's that look like? Hypothetically speaking, only hypothetically speaking last year before this crisis occurred. Uh, you know, what's that look like compared to what would it cost to jump over and through all the hoops that were erected between you and that account balance, whatever it might be in that plan or that portfolio just weigh those costs out what are the what do those hypothetical numbers look like and then fast forward here we are you know where would capital be better off right where we're exposed to the volatility of the casino or the the market um oh yeah uh, the difference of uh wall street and las vegas one of them's in the desert (laughs) i mean i'm just saying uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd rather tie the growth of my capital to God-given natural facts, right? The passage of time, the law of large numbers. Uh, <laughs> much uh, more confident in those other, you know, things not of this world. Going back to where we first started, going back to things that are not of this world. Tying my financial prosperity to things that are beyond the control of human actors, right? Uh, government bureaucrats and politicians and department of transportation billboard you know bureaucrats getting paid to distract people on texas roads (laughs) i know what i'm gonna do what i've been doing ever since i met nelson nash is i'm gonna be paying large pua premiums And uh, don't, base, don't, don't leave don't, out don't, yeah, don't misunderstand me. These, I'm going to make sure all the policies that I own are completely full. I continue to pay premium and loan repayments, some interest only and some amortized on my schedule. And I'm going to continue to do what I do every day, try to get up or I get up and try to live free and independent right? and think, think. It's okay to think and it's okay to change your thinking. Uh-huh. So, it's okay to be triggered. There might be some truth. There, under all that nothing trigger. but love here, you know. I mean, there's really nothing but love and encouragement. It's like we're just pointing out what appears to be true, yep. right? And then what actually is true, and then what we've come to um, experience as truth. You know, this correction is just another variation over and over and over. Six thousand years of recorded history. However, this is very interesting. But I seen a, 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 I think it was a Facebook clip where, oh, you know, some cartoon had called it, you know, 20 years ago. Oh, let's release a pandemic virus. I mean, so I'm just saying it's a bit of a surprise. Oh, there's a pandemic. You know, we got to shut down all of America. I find that very surprising. Yeah. So, and look, and people get, I don't know why certain viewers um, find this irritating, but the, my, suggestion to assume angelic intentions oh yeah that really throws people listen i know that there's (laughs) malice in the world right i'm not that doesn't i get it right it's not the point at the point is to assume angelic intentions anyway and to plan and coordinate action based on that assumption right we don't need to yes we want to there's malice out there we want to be prepared for that but um, you know, we could assume that, that this was entirely benevolent. No one saw the virus coming, and there, there was no that would truly be angelic. There was, there's no mismanagement <laughs> of any uh, part of the re- response, and there's been totally proportionate state reaction to to this this 
SARS virus, there, of which there's been two in the past. That uh, are your papers. Yeah, yeah, we can assume all of that, right? But my point, whether that's true or not, right? My point is that we would still want to have control over the capital accumulation and deployment function, right? You would, we would still be discovering our tremendous need for capital, right? Regardless of whether there's malicious intent out there in the world or not. Right, so my point is the argument is that robust. It's that resilient. It doesn't rest on the fallen, malicious nature of man, right? There's that too. It makes it worse, right? Everything in finance is relative. It's better to be in a secure, highly capitalized position relative to those people anyway. Yep. Yes, that's all, and that's all extra. You know, pile all that on. But even if we don't look into that, right? Even if we don't go down the social media rabbit holes and all the theories about what's going on, it, it would still behoove us, in fact, it might even behoove us to just be secure in our capital, knowing that we can finance our lifestyle for as long as the crisis continues uh, so that we can resume on an independent, autonomous footing when the economy is allowed to, to flourish again. Um, so we don't even need to go into, we don't even need to cover all the uh, you know, Department of Texas Department of Transportation uh, comments on the billboards. You on the brought highways. it up. I know, but look, I'm just saying it's out there. But it's it's unnecessary. It's, it we don't require all of the legitimately awful, unpleasant, anti-social, anti-capitalist things out there to well, understand that the infinite <laughs> banking concept is still the thing to do. No question. Right. It just brings it to an acute forefront. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. It just makes then, it pronounced. I just don't want people to be like, oh, you're, you're being hard on everything out there because you're in the business and it's, it's good for you. It's like, you know, it's okay to be a provider of the thing you believe in. Ooh. Well, thank goodness Wall Street now has a cover for the correction. The virus caused it. Right. I'm just saying. That, that will be the story, by and the way. It will go down in yeah. history. No question. Yeah. None. All right. Well, listen, thanks for sharing. Thanks for listening. We had fun. Hope you enjoy it. Um, you can listen to this one more than once. <laughs> Share it around. <laughs> Ain't nobody else saying this kind of stuff. Live free and independent. Peace. See you next time. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.